0: Genesis chapter 25, starting reading at verse 19. This is God's word. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old. When she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. What is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Amen. And we thank God for this reading from his truth. Well, before we come to think about it together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks powerfully to us, that it is a living and active word that it it cuts right into our hearts, sharper than a two-edged sword. We pray that you would be with us today to help us understand what it is you are saying to your church. We pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, because we, O God, are foolish, we are sinful, and we need your help. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would convict us and assure us in your word today. Amen. Well, those of you uh, who are into sport, you know what it is to have a rival. Whatever team you support, there's usually another team uh, who are a near rival. When it comes to rugby, I've shared mine with you before. Uh, I support Drumore not Bambridge. I support Ulster, not Leinster. I support Ireland, and I cannot be clear enough about this, not England. One of the, the main themes that we find in this book of Genesis is rivalry, opposition between the church and the world. That rivalry continues Throughout the Bible, it it continues all the way to the end. And it started in Genesis chapter 3. Immediately after the fall, God speaks to Satan. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I will make you enemies. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so throughout the book of Genesis, we see this rivalry between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And as I say, it continues throughout the whole Bible. It culminates for us in the coming of Christ. Think about the kind of things that Paul says in in the book of Romans, for example. Paul, speaking about the sin of Adam, says this, for by one man's offense many died. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And so you see this, this opposition, the, the, the rivalry when it comes to the Christian faith. And there's no room for sitting on the fence. Either we're in Adam. Or we're in Christ. You're either in the world or you're in the church. You you can't hedge your bets. You, You can't be on the fence about this. In our passage today, we see this rivalry very, very clearly between these two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And the rivalry even between these two brothers continues throughout the scriptures. In the book of Numbers, We read about the descendants of Jacob having wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And they they come, the the children of Israel, another name for Jacob, come to the borders of Edom. Another name, as we read here, for Esau. They come to the borders of Edom and, and the Israelites are not allowed to go through. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 20, just a couple of verses. Let me read them for you. Edom came out against them with many men and a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Esau used his might, his strength, and he refused to give Jacob safe passage. So the rivalry between these brothers continues throughout the biblical story. And so the passage that we have before us today, I think, is a passage that is written for people who feel defeated. It's written for people who have been refused passage, for people who feel like the older brother has won, feel like we're losing out to the descendants of Esau. And it can feel like that at times, can't it, in the church doesn't it feel like we're on the losing side of the battle and the opposition is actually winning? Think about the number of meeting houses around the countryside today that are only half full. Think about those that in some cases are lying empty and going to ruin. One day they were filled with worshippers, but not today. I think there are glimmers of hope. The, the Queen's funeral, I think, felt like a moment didn't it? It felt like a moment when having a God-centered view of life and death might be a popular thing. It doesn't seem to have continued. Some of you might have seen a, a clip of the new Italian prime minister, uh, Giorgia Maloney. It was the clip uh, is probably from a few years ago. She, she makes this great defense of the family and she calls herself a Christian. It's got millions of views on the internet, but I don't think she is going to be the saviour of the world. Because we we can place those things alongside what we read on our headlines. Alongside the, the recent publication from the University of Ulster, which is backed up by court rulings to say that religious education and acts of worship should no longer be allowed in our schools. We should no longer be allowed to teach Christianity as the truth in our schools. The truth is humanism. And Christianity then is just given as one of the many things that people might choose to believe. It does seem that the church is a people who are on the losing side. And so I think it's with joy that we have this passage before us today. This story of Esau and Jacob, who, which is written to a people who feel defeated. And yet it's given for our encouragement it's given for our upbuilding as God's people. In a break with tradition, I have two points for us today. The first is that God chose the church, and the second is that our reward is in heaven. Firstly, God chose the church. I think if there's any encouragement in these verses, it's the truth that it is God who has chosen his church. It is no coincidence that Jacob receives the blessing of his father. It's no coincidence that he receives the birthright. It's not a coincidence that God loves the children of Jacob. And if you're trusting in Jesus today, then it's no coincidence that God has chosen you. It's because of his goodness, his kindness his sovereign providence, that he would choose you to be his child in the church. Those among us who have been doing the family devotions, which Rebecca has written for us in the past week, will have read Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. What does that say? It says, God has not saved us or called us according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. It is God's perfect plan to choose whom he will choose. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that it's not because we are great or noble or powerful. God does not choose you because of anything in you. He doesn't choose you because he knows your future or your past, although he does. He is eternal. He does not choose you based on what you have done or what you have not done. God does not choose according to works. If you are in Christ today, God has chosen, called and saved you according to his own perfect plans and purposes. And this is seen so clearly in the story of Esau and Jacob. It's seen very clearly in the way their characters are described to us. From their earliest introduction in verse 23, it's clear that these brothers are rivals. They're set against us. They're contrasted. As we saw last week, God has decided to continue the line of promise through Isaac and Rebekah. And this journey has its own bumps in the road. It seems they can't receive, but Isaac prays to God on behalf of his wife And God grants his request. In fact, not one child but two, Rebecca conceives twins. And so the children struggle with one another, even in their mother's womb. Rebecca inquires of the Lord why this is happening, and the Lord speaks to Rebecca and says, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger and so from this point not only do we have this rivalry but we have a promise from God that one will serve the other now we know because we've read ahead that God chose Jacob and not Esau we know that the younger receives the birthright the younger receives the father's blessing and this is not the normal way of things is it? And in those days, it would have been the eldest son who would have received everything. And So God turns things upside down. He, he subverts the way things usually work. And he demonstrates that what matters is his choice, not our actions. Like I say, as we learn more about their characters, this is made more and more clear to us. I wonder, knowing what we know from this story, which brother would you choose to be the recipient of God's blessing? Would it be Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver, who from his very birth, we're told he was holding his brother's heel. It, It shows us that he is lying and conning his brother. His mother prefers him because he's mild. He stays around the tents. But the implication for us is to read that Jacob is weak. He uses his ability to lie and manipulate to his own advantage. He tricks his brother. As we probably know, he later will trick his father. Would we choose Jacob? Or might we choose Esau? It's clear that Esau is physically stronger, but that's about it. That's about all Esau has going for him. He's depicted in this story as a total idiot. Boys and girls, you might think of Esau a little bit like Hulk from the Marvel movies. You know, Hulk smash. Esau is just like, yum, stew. He comes in from hunting and he'll do anything. He'll sell his birthright to get the stew, yum, red stuff. I'm about to die, give me the yummy red stuff. He says he'd pay anything for it. wonder can you see where i'm going with this neither of these brothers is a great prospect jacob and esau both have their faults and so we know that god did not choose jacob because jacob is a great guy but nonetheless god does choose jacob paul writes in romans chapter 9 quoting the lord speaking in malachi jacob have i loved But Esau, I have hated. You see, this is a really important concept for us to grasp as Christian people. Something that's central to reformed theology. It's that God and God alone chooses his people. Speaking to the descendants of Jacob in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 7, Moses says this. He says, you are a holy people. To the Lord, your God, the Lord has chosen you to be for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of peoples. But the Lord loves you. And because He swore an oath to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. It is because of who he is that God has chosen us, not because of who we are. And that's really helpful for us today and in other days when we feel as if the church is losing. Because we know that the sovereign God of the universe has chosen us. We are his people. And he will protect us. We cannot fall out of his favour. We cannot fall out of his hands because we did not put ourselves there. God will persevere with us for the simple reason that he has chosen us. And he will continue with us until we are made perfect as he is perfect. God does not flip-flop. God does not change the team he supports based on who's at the top of the league. God has chosen you because of his good pleasure, because of his eternal decree. God has rescued and redeemed you in Christ and he will not go back on that. He cannot go back on that. So if you're a Christian today, be encouraged. It might feel like we're losing, but God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? I think it's also important for us to see in this story that Esau, well, he got his stew there and then, didn't he? Jacob had to wait for his blessing. And so it is with the people of God, there there will be times when it seems as if we are losing. There will be times when it feels like we should just close the doors and give up but one of the great lessons we learn from today's passage is patience. Patience. And that's our second point. Our reward is in heaven. Martin Luther, who after what I said last week, I was bound to quote this week. Martin Luther once said this. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. I'll read it again. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it, to it. So, while God does not choose us because of anything in us, that does not mean that God is happy with us the way we are. Not at all. God does not find that which is pleasing to him, but instead he creates it in us. Through the work of Christ, the justifying and sanctifying work of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jacob, Jacob is a total liar. I don't know if this is something you will have heard before. In Dramore you would say he's a twister. Have you heard that expression before? He twists things. He, He distorts the truth. He deceives his brother here. He takes his birthright. What did Sam show us a few weeks ago? Sam showed us that God takes this prayerless schemer and turns him by the end of his life into a prayerful man of God. But it takes time. It takes a really long time. Compare Jacob's reward with Esau's Esau comes in from the hunt hungry and he gets fed immediately yummy red stew. His reward is immediate. But Jacob's reward takes years. And this is going to be a theme with Jacob. We're going to see this in the next month or so. This is a parable for the way things work in our world. Aren't the, the values of this world, you get what you want when you want it? It's not how most people live. We don't have waiting. We don't have patience. We carry about these devices in our pockets, which gives us all the information in the world ever immediately and sometimes that's too slow i don't know how many of you have netflix or something like, like that if if you watch a tv show on netflix and after one episode has ended there's a little countdown icon which tells you when the next episode is about to start it takes about 4 seconds but if you can't wait that long you can press a button to get to the next episode quicker than 4 seconds we're so impatient, aren't we? We're so irritable. Traffic. Phone calls, those, those helplines where you have to sit on hold. McDonald's orders that take longer than five minutes. We hate to wait. This is built into our world. The idea of of waiting until marriage before having sex is is openly laughed at these days. But for a Christian, it's really important. We are not to be like Esau. He got his stew immediately, but he only got a pot of stew. Jacob had to wait. But think of the, the grandeur of Jacob's inheritance compared to Esau's. God has chosen us and he has chosen us to wait. To wait through the difficulty. To wait through the stress and the anxiety. To wait through those times when it feels like we're losing. To wait upon the Lord. To be patient. To delay gratification. Not to rush in and jump into that bowl of stew, but to wait. Waiting produces patience in us. It teaches us that we are not in control. I can't tell you how much I would like to see my plans and purposes come to pass. But actually, wouldn't that be a very bad thing? If we got everything we ever wanted immediately. Through our waiting, God teaches us that he is in control. And that through time, his plans and purposes, which are perfect, will come to pass in our lives. Either in this life or in the next. And so although the world seems to be crumbling around us and the church might look defeated, we wait. We wait upon the Lord to do his work in us through patient trust and obedience, knowing that it is true what God has promised. There is a glorious inheritance waiting for us in the heavenly places. We may not fully know the blessing of God in this life, but we will one day. And so we endure Let me try and wrap things up for us. I think we've answered the question of what and we've answered the question of why. We've thought about the fact that God chooses his people and and the truth that our reward is in heaven. But the question remains for us to think about today is how? How is it possible that God would choose twisted sinners like Jacob, like you, And like me. We've seen that Jacob's not really any different from Esau. They're both sinners before a holy God. Sinful in different ways, maybe, but sinful nonetheless. So, how is it that God can choose Jacob? How is it that God would choose sinners like you and me? We deserve God's wrath, we deserve his punishment, just as the world does. How is it that we have a reward waiting for us in heaven? Well, friends, you know the answer. You know the answer, don't you? Let me share it with you in case you've forgotten. The answer is Jesus. Because of his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus is how God chooses his people. Because we are sinful in and of ourselves, yet through Christ, because of his righteousness on our behalf, because of his death in our place, and his resurrection for our justification. We are new creations in God's sight. We are spotless and holy, just as our saviour is holy. God does not look for, but creates that which pleases him. He has chosen us in Christ. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians? He has chosen us in Jesus from before the foundations of the world. So don't look to yourself today. Don't congratulate yourself in any way that you have been chosen by God. He has not chosen you on your merits. He has chosen you on the merit of Christ. How is it that we have a reward waiting for us well? It's because Jesus is our great reward, both now and forever. Christ is our inheritance. And so the reward waiting for us in heaven is the inheritance we get a foretaste of today. Our reward is spending every moment of every day in the glorious presence of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is how. He is how people like us can be chosen by God to receive his everlasting blessing. Let me pray for us.